Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading, exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere access to reliable high-speed internet. And I am so excited to be sitting here live in person with the man, the myth, the legend, <laughs> Blair Levin. Welcome, Blair. Uh, well, thank you very much. Great to be here with you. I'm so excited to get to talk with you today. Um, happy to talk with you. So uh, you're here at the conference. You're going to be speaking in a little while. Right. I'm kind of getting you before that. Um, so uh, do you want to give a little preview of what you're going to be talking about today? I think we're talking about the BEAD program. But let me give you the preview uh, this way, because you mentioned the digital divide. There yes. really are three digital divides in the country. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's important to understand them. Uh, the first is the one you mentioned, which is uh, the lack of networks everywhere. Right. That is fundamentally a CapEx problem. Congress has fundamentally provided enough money to solve the problem. Whether we solve it well or we solve it poorly <laughs> is a very big question. <laughs> but over the next three to five years, we will spend, the, the government money will spend order of magnitude, 60, 70 billion dollars. And that should be enough to provide networks to 99 plus percent of all homes that we would regard as robust uh, broadband networks. Right. The second problem is the problem of the affordability divide. Uh, and included in that is a usability divide. That is to say, you have to solve both the problem of digital literacy and, and affordability. The fundamental way of solving that is through the Affordable Connectivity Program. The problem with the Affordable, <laughs> affordable Connectivity Program is it is not based on sustainable funding. The funding may run out. and we, we as a country may face a situation next year where 50 million Americans, instead of getting faster, better, cheaper broadband, which is what we should be doing everywhere all the time, they will be getting worse or slower, more expensive broadband if they have it at all. In other words, we are at risk for, instead of decreasing the digital divide, taking the largest step any country has ever taken to increase the digital divide, if and when that funding runs out. The third digital divide is what you might think of as the utilization digital divide. This is one I care a lot about, but I have been completely unsuccessful in getting others to care about, um, which is how do we use networks to improve uh, very important outcomes? Mm -hmm. How do we get networks to improve reading scores, health outcomes, job training, any number of other things? We will get there eventually. Right. And I, by the way, I think artificial intelligence will be play a very large role in helping us do that. It's got a lot of downsides too, but right. um, but we ought to be looking at some of the upsides. So those are the three different digital divides. At today's conference, we're primarily focused. Right. on the concerns of the audience, which is the first. Sure. So, okay, well, let's let's come at each of those um, a little bit. And I'll start with the middle one because you are calling attention to something that is super important that you and I have spoken about previously and that yeah. I've been thinking about a lot as well, which is that the ACP is going to run out of money probably sometime next year, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's the... $14.2 billion program that allows people to get a $30 subsidy toward their broadband every month or $75 yeah. if you're on tribal land, $100 toward a device, um, just for any context if anyone needs it. Um, and that program has about 15 million households enrolled. I think it's like 17, 17 now. and I think the math is 2 point, so you multiply that by 2.3, I think. Mm people in the household. Mm -hmm, right. And, and, the, and the number is going up, so yeah. that's where I get my 
50 million by the time the program runs out of money. And the estimation is that it should have about 50, 40 something million households enrolled if everybody. Oh, 40 million households, yeah. I mean, right. <laughs> but part of what is going on, and this is important for regulators to understand, and as far as I can tell, they don't. And why I say regulars, I really mean policymakers. Mm -hmm. The companies are reluctant to sell the program. The FCC is going, oh, we're going to, yeah, everyone's going to cooperate. No, they aren't. And here's the reason they aren't. They don't know that this is sustainable. Right. And so every person they get on this program, they are at risk of having to tell that person, oh, that $30 that you didn't have to pay, we now want it from you. Right. When the program runs out. Well, that's not a very attractive proposition. No company wants to tell a customer, I'm essentially giving you a $30 price increase. They don't want to do that. And the more people they get on, the bigger the risk. So the FCC can say whatever they want about what a great program we're doing, but they need the cooperation of the companies, and the companies are being rational actors and saying, the more people we bring on, the greater our exposure when you can't give us the money anymore. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so it sounds like everyone needs to focus on Congress then, right? Because that's who holds well, <laughs> the money. Uh, so there are multiple paths. Okay. Congress should be the first path. It is the principal path. Um, they funded it before they should fund it again. Do you believe Congress will fund it no, again? No, I don't think Congress <laughs> can do anything now. <laughs> I think we're going to shut down the country soon. <laughs> you know, uh, I, the other day I was giving a speech where I expressed pessimism about Congress, and someone asked me the question, why are you pessimistic? And I said, because I'm Jewish, and because, like, you know, I have, I have a certain view of the world that, uh -huh. like, if bad things are likely to happen, they probably will. That's mm -hmm. what it means. Uh, and so I look at this Congress, and I would say, we ought to try. Mm -hmm. But if that's your only plan, that's dangerous. Indeed. Now, there are other paths. The FCC could fund it itself. But the FCC is already under legal assault for the whole program. Could go into what kind of the legal analysis, but I think it would be, uh, it might be a good thing for the FCC to do, but the FCC also has an economic problem, which is the contribution base is shrinking, and the FCC is doing nothing to adjust universal service to both economic and legal challenges. A third path is for the states. Mm -hmm. New York has a program that's in the courts. We'll see what happens with that, but uh, that is, that's a potential path. A fourth path is one that uh, the National Urban League laid out uh, two plus years ago, I was involved in that effort, which is to find entities who actually save money by virtue of having low-income people online. Mm -hmm. The biggest such institution would be Medicaid. There is an argument, uh, which I believe to be correct, that Medicaid should have the ability to provide vouchers on the basis that Medicaid will save money if their customers are online. They, what does COVID teach us about the delivery of healthcare? It teaches us that telehealth will be a very big deal. Mm -hmm. That's only going up. Right. So for what is essentially a healthcare insurance company, getting everyone online who they cover is a good thing. Right. Insurance companies can take a longer view. Um, anyway, so... But look, there may be other ideas, but my point is simply, yes, Congress, 
I would love it if Congress would fund the program. Okay, yeah, that seems like it would be the easiest yeah. route. Um, also, potentially the least likely given the current makeup of Congress right. and uh, right. the current state of our country. But I will, you know, I'll, I'll pause us there on that one because you and I could go on that on 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 and on about that all day. I think. Um, so let's go back to the first thing you mentioned, which is deployment, which is the bead program. Although it does have that E in there, it does have equity in there. It does have to yeah. be equitable deployment. Um, but so one of the big concerns around how that's going to shake out is, of course, the FCC's broadband map, um, which uh, yes. NTIA, NTIA is required to use to distribute the money. Um, number one, are you concerned about the state of that map and how that, those distributions are going to go? But number two, something that came up here earlier today is the subject of states using their own maps once they get the bead funding to figure out how they're going to disperse it and basically use those maps in their own granting process. Uh, it was suggested that it should be mandated that they cannot do that um, and that the money you know, cannot be spent unless they are absolutely using the FCC map. Um, where do you come down on, on all of this? And are you concerned that with the current state of the map that the money is not going to go where it needs to go? I could do a long history <laughs> of the map and some of the concerns I have on it. But I'm going to jump to the conclusion, which is at the end of the day, Congress pretty clearly said, we trust the governors. Mm -hmm. I was involved in some of these discussions, and I, I find it to be very problematic, but I understand the logic, particularly in the Senate. Um, and what happened was, and this is just tragic, Ajit Pai proceeded with the Ardoff auction before he should have. He was using very bad maps. He let people into the auction he probably shouldn't have let in. But I will defend him only in that he could not have known that this infrastructure bill was about to pass. Fair enough, yeah. There's a lot of complexities between the Ardoff auction, but what it did as an what it did politically was it said to the Congress, the FCC cannot be trusted to distribute the funds wisely. Prior to that, the FCC was the it was the only federal institution of the Department of Agriculture had some money, but it was the major funder of rural broadband deployment. In any event, the reason I say all that is at the end of the day, I don't see why the Department of Congress is going to tell any governor to do it differently than the governor wants to do it. So if the governor wants to use their own maps, why would the Department of Commerce say, we know more about the state of Georgia than you do? Right. There's only one case I can think of, and that would be if in Mississippi, and I use Mississippi, uh, this will not happen, but I, I use it to illustrate a point. Sure. If the state of Mississippi says, it just so happens that when it comes to rural whites, they're getting fiber, and when it comes to rural African Americans, they're getting fixed wireless. Mm -hmm. I think the Department of Commerce would object to that. I'm pretty sure they would, and I think they should. Right. But everything else is going to be so in the weeds, and I just don't understand the political logic or, frankly, the legal logic of not giving the governor any uh, waiver they want. The FCC maps may be better, but to explain how they're better, you kind of need a lot of degrees <laughs> that neither people at the FCC nor people probably at the state have. So I just, I mean, to me, part of the tragedy of, this, of the maps is if Congress had just said the current maps are, are bad, yeah. but we're going to use them anyway. Mm -hmm. Because by the time we get better maps, it'll be two or three years, and the costs of waiting are greater than the cost of inaccuracy. Right. 
Okay. And, you know, as we said earlier, it's unlikely Congress is going to do much of anything, so I don't right. really see them passing a law to right. double right. mandate anything about this. So maybe not so much a concern. Um, so let's get to that last bucket of the digital divide. How did you describe it? Is it uh, utilization? Utilization. Okay, yeah. I was going to say uptake, but yeah. utilization. So well, the works. affordability is the uptake, right? Okay. The, the adoption right. bucket. It was the second bucket. Okay. So then talk to me about what you mean by utilization. So utilization goes to the question of how do we actually use these networks to improve outcomes in essential services, particularly education, healthcare, job training, um, job placement, um, civil society, public safety, et cetera. In ways, we're, we're doing this um, in, in ways that are, I think are hidden from the lar larger public, uh, for example, our 911 system is much better than it used to be. Now, by the way, this is, I, I happen to be on the board of advisors of a company called Rapid SOS, which is a company that provides a software application to both Apple and Android, and um, they're connecting to all the PSAPs, the public safety access points, and it was not an accident that Apple, with their big uh, rollout um, some months ago, really focused on the, all the emergency services because the phones now enable us to save lives yeah. with the 911 system that we could not do before and multiple languages and video and a thousand other things. That's great. Whether Rapid SOS is the right company or not, that's not important. The point is we're using technology to improve outcomes for a very important service. Are we doing that in education? Mm. Education scores have gone down since 2019. A lot of that is COVID. But it's not it wasn't necessary if we had been prepared. If we had had everybody connected, at a minimum, we could be teaching two uh, second graders to read just as well right. as in the classroom. As, I mean, arguably, we could do it better. I think artificial intelligence will be really important on this because, because you now can have generative AI that remembers the person. You could have this, you know, doll, a bear, that actually reads with a child. Yeah. And is that as good as a parent? No. Can you, but, you know, if a parent's working three jobs, is it nice to have the teddy bear reading with the kid? Y yeah. So I'm just saying you could do that. You're, you're clearly seeing it in healthcare, uh, where it's interesting. The National Broadband Plan made a number of recommendations about how to enhance telemedicine. They were largely not adopted until COVID hit, <laughs> and then they were largely adopted. Yeah. <laughs> and now Medicare and Medicaid are considering whether to continue them, even though the COVID emergency is over. Mm -hmm. And these aren't easy questions, but there's all kinds of geographic licensing and, and, and largely reimbursement and other things. Again, it's better if one actually sees a doctor, but a lot of people don't have the time, yeah. and then they forego the treatment. I mean, I, I think the studies suggest that by doing the preventative care online, you save a lot of money in terms of emergency rooms and all kinds of other things. So... That's something which I don't think, as a society, we're fully taking advantage of. 
Yeah, I, I think it's, it's interesting you say that. I think sometimes about how we talk about the digital divide and what we're solving for. And right. it seems like the only story we tell is one of children sitting in a McDonald's parking lot to get free Wi-Fi for their homework. And mm -hmm. I think that's an obviously important visceral example that maybe helps tell the story of what we're doing but it's definitely not the whole story of why we're spending billions of dollars to get internet everywhere it's definitely not and we also never really cared that much about children before <laughs> well it, it is interesting in, in my political experience the first line of offense is always children it's always about the protection sure. of children you see this with the internet and stuff like that sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't yeah. but but that's always um always a you know, a way of demonstrating a, a certain kind of need. The McDonald's example is interesting to me because it confuses the deployment issue with the adoption issue. Right. Why are they at McDonald's? Is it because their home can't get any internet or because they can't afford it? Mm -hmm. The solution sets are completely different, mm -hmm. except, and this is a really important point, and the National Urban League made this point, uh, and I was, I was involved in that. If you fund the Affordable Connectivity Program, you save money on the bead program. And the reason is you make the economics of deployment much better if that 30% that can't afford it is getting 30 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, you know, deployment models are, are much better. So they are related, but, but it confuses the policy example. Okay, so I'm going to let you go in a few minutes because you actually have to speak to a whole group of people, not just one woman. Uh, <laughs> but I wanted to ask you, you know, one other thing that's going on is a continued effort to get the NTIA to change some of its rules. Um, maybe like make a little more room for fixed wireless is, is the idea in the industry. Um, where do you come down on the, the state of the NTIA's rules? Do you want them to keep them as they are? Do you want them to bend any of them? Where are you at? Um, I don't regard myself as an expert in this. And part of the reason I don't regard myself as an expert is at the end of the day, I'm not sure it matters. Mm -hmm. Because again, the, the key decisions are going to be made in the governor's office. Yeah. Those are, they're complicated decisions. But whatever a governor comes up with, I just don't see the logic of NTIA saying, no, we're not going to let you do that. Mm -hmm. Partly, it's kind of the way the law works. And partly, it's just... <laughs> The, the governor is going to say, I want to do X. And like, if the governor wants to do fixed wireless, they'll do fixed wireless. Right. If they don't, they don't. And now, look, there are three kinds of states. State number one has more than enough money. I'm pretty sure Delaware doesn't have that many unserved, you know. So they have more than enough money. They'll get fiber everywhere. Yeah. The second kind of state is no way in the world they have enough. They're going to have to do a lot of fixed wireless. I'm pretty sure Alaska falls into this, but there are a number of other states, too. The interesting states are in the middle. They won't know. They won't know for a long time. They need models. You wrote a piece on the McKinsey Broadband Lab. Mm -hmm. I was involved in that. But the, the point I wanted to make is states need tools because supply chains will change prices. Labor costs will be changing. So, you know, the governors are going to have to do this on a dynamic basis. Right. Um, and, and kind of adjust. But it's the governors who are going to make those decisions. Right. The one thing that I think uh, rule that I... Um, I'm a little concerned about is the interpretation of the Buy American Clause. Okay. Now, the Buy America, because I'm, I'm pretty sure there's plenty of supply of the actual fiber optic cables, because Corning has been preparing for this moment as a smart company for a long time. But there's an awful lot of smaller inputs 
that are not made in America, anywhere in the supply chain, and would not, and if we started today to do that, it'll take five years. So the question is how flexible will NTIA be on that? And I would presume that they, that the speed of deployment is actually a relevant consideration. Well, it's interesting because they had issued a, you know, a limited waiver for the middle mile program, but then President Biden and his State of the Union was like, nope, we're doing Buy America for everything. And so then they put out a blog the next day that was like, oh yeah, for everything going forward, we're going to commit to that. Um, so I know there's some rewriting of some rules on, at some level in the government for yeah. some aspects of that. But uh, So that piece worries me a little yeah. bit in terms of its... The cost time impact of that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I don't think Congress intended um, the bead program to be something we do in the next decade. Right. But if you strictly apply Buy America, I may be off by a year or two, but it's fundamentally it's a, yeah. welcome to the 2030s. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. One more question for you. Um, okay. Completely off topic, but you made some news yesterday because you suggested like Charter could buy Altice. Uh, do you want to? No, I no Comcast. Uh, Comcast, buy. my bad. Comcast can buy our Altice. Uh, do you really I'm think not that? Sure why that, that's just... what I said. Here's what I think I said. <laughs> um, I said so. What happened was. Altice announced a new set of managers who largely come from Comcast. So investors start saying, well, is this just, are they preparing to sell to Comcast? And the answer, uh, and then, then I get the regulatory question, can they? And I said, well, that is in a category called a geographic expansion deal. It's not a horizontal deal. It's not a vertical deal. It's geographic expansion. And those are almost always approved. Why? Because they do not diminish competition in a relevant product or geographic market. You're simply having somebody who does something in market A now do it in market B. No diminishment of competition. The only example where that's not true that I know of is Comcast trying to buy Time Warner Cable. There were, there were very legitimate reasons why the Department of Justice and the FCC blocked it on competition grounds at that time. Right. They would have had 60% of the high-speed broadband lines. That's no longer true. Altice is much smaller than, you know, whatever. So I went through the analysis of why I believed under a traditional antitrust analysis it would be allowed. Okay. Having said that, what the Tegna deal decision tells us is that the chair, through a delegation to the bureau, without any opportunity of judicial review, and premised on anything that the chair believes is the public interest can effectively kill a deal. So, you know, like, tell me at the time who's chair. Right. Okay. And the example I used, and it's a horrible example in some way, and it will never happen, but I use it to illustrate it. Let's say the chair under uh, President DeSantis were to look at that deal and simply say, Comcast owns MSNBC. They did some reporting about DeSantis that we don't think was in the public interest. Therefore, we're not allowed them to uh, buy anything. Certainly can see that happen. <laughs> it would be two years before Comcast could get that to court, and that effectively kills the right. deal. I'm not saying they would do that. What I am saying is it illustrates a problem for people who contemplate deals. Okay. Gotcha. What are the odds of approval? So I wouldn't say that I said that the deal would be approved. I would say under traditional analysis it would clearly be approved, but 
Fair enough. All right, you cleared that up. Enough yeah. for me. Thank you so much for giving us me some time today. It was really nice to see you in person. And good good luck to see with you. Your, uh, your Thank you very much. Today. I'm looking forward to it. Great.